In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Matthew twenty-eight sixteen. My name is Juan Elias and welcome to the One as One podcast, an ecumenical Christian experience where we try to embody Jesus' desire that his followers may be one as God is one. John seventeen twenty-one. Our mission on this podcast is to foster a common Christian spirituality in the image of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit through prayer, knowledge, and relationships. Friends and fellow followers of Jesus, peace in Christ. We continue with part two of our interview of Father Robert Elias Barcelos, who shares with us the experience and perspective of a Roman Catholic Christian. What's your understanding of spirituality and what's your spirituality? Yeah, spirituality for me um, boils down to communion with the Holy Spirit of Jesus of Nazareth, man. That's it. Communion with the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, crucified and risen. And um, and the Holy Spirit, you know, is not some force like the Jehovah's Witnesses interpret from Scripture, but it's a person. And it's the love between the Father and the Son, as, as Jesus prays in John 17, his high priestly prayer. And it's this glory of love that unites the Father with the Son, and it's the giver of life. And um, and this communion with the Holy Spirit is everything. Um, so, how, you know, in terms of myself, like, what's my spirituality as a, as a you know, biblical-based Christian, um, as a Catholic Christian? I mean, one word, freedom. That's, that's how I would summarize my spirituality, freedom. And it's not the freedom of the world. It's not the freedom of the flesh. It's the freedom of Jesus crucified and risen. And as Jesus says, you know, um, actually it's St. Paul, uh, as the apostle of Jesus says, uh, Galatians chapter 5, for freedom Christ has set us free. But don't use this as an occasion for the flesh, a license to do whatever you want but as an inspiration and a source of strength to do what you're supposed to um, in regards to becoming who we're called to be in Christ. And, and so another place of freedom that St. Paul talks about is where the spirit of the Lord is in Corinthians, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And this freedom is a freedom that takes us from strength to strength and glory to glory through, through a transfiguration process and what it means to behold the face of God in Christ Jesus, the glory of the gospel. To be transformed in Jesus Christ. That's ultimate freedom. Transfiguration. Um, and St. Paul talks about that beautifully in that passage. And that word that he uses for transfigured, it, or yeah, the transfigured in Christ, um, right after he's talking about the spirit of freedom, that's the same word that the Gospels use when talking about Jesus' transfiguration on Mount Tabor. It's a Greek word, metamorphosi, metamorphosis. So spirituality for me is transformation in Jesus Christ uh, through the Holy Spirit of love. And this Holy Spirit of love is best communicated symbolically in Scripture as fire. That's the fire of freedom to be transfigured in the life of Jesus Christ as risen Lord. And, and one way that the, that the ancient church, especially of the Near East, the Syrian and Greek traditions uh, and Coptic traditions, they so much talk about this freedom of the fire of transfiguring love in Jesus Christ as deification, sharing in the divine nature of God, 
through the incarnation of God and his cross and resurrection. That's redemption at its heights, at its summit. And, and where, where does that come from in scripture? It's not some esoteric mysticism. It's very biblical. St. Peter, I think it's the second letter, chapter one, in that opening chapter, um, talks about we are called to share the divine nature of Jesus Christ. And that's part of the excellence of the new covenant grace of Jesus' merits, to share in the divine nature. So it's not simply being forgiven our sins, which is huge. No one can give us forgiveness for our sins. No amount of transcendent meditation, no amount of yoga, no amount of conforming to the, the middle way of Buddha, as, no amount of nothing, as, 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 as beautiful as that can look in terms of its spiritual aesthetics, beautiful spiritual aesthetics. But there's no one that can obtain for us the forgiveness of our sins but the blood of Jesus on the cross. And as powerful and important as that is, huge, it doesn't stop there. That's all a preparation for deification, sharing in the glory of the risen Lord. Thank you, brother. Um, a lot of richness there. Um, what's your understanding of church and how does it connect to these different areas that you've spoken to already? You know, that's so awesome of a question because because of drama in the church especially scandals in the church um and especially the scandal of my own parents divorce when i was a little kid a very tender age before two um and because of those scandals coming mostly through the priesthood who are called to be fathers we are called to be fathers and reflect the fatherhood of god my image of the church after the scandals the recent scandals that we had at um, especially in 2018, that was like a that was a backbreaker for me. Um, the priestly cler clerical scandals of 2018. Uh, my image of the church was really wounded and tarnished, and it and it opened up in me my own wounds uh, in terms of father wound, um, being just so disillusioned and and disappointed by my own dad. And so the scandals of the church like really tarnished my image of the church. And as a result, it made me really distrust the church again, have a disdain for her authority again. And so I needed to be healed from my image of the church. Um, and so for me, the church, um, coming back to the essentials of what I knew before those that disillusionment, but to go back to that first love of what made me, of how Jesus made me fall in love with the church as my as like a little boy falling in love with his mother. Um you know, I had to go back to that, and it was a process um, of healing. And so part of that first love in regards to how Jesus helped me to, to know and love his church as a mom, that's one way we begin, is the church as a mother. Um, just begin, just like coming to be healed from our mother wound and learning how to love our mom. You know, coming to love the church as a mother. Um, and... But then also coming to the other perspective and image of the church is the church is the bride of Christ. And the fact that the bride and the bridegroom are one. There's no separation. There's no separation. That's such a hugely important truth right now because so many Christians, so many Catholic Christians have this dichotomy. This um, it's, it's the enemy wants us to have this dichotomy. The enemy who is the father of lies 
who hates Jesus Christ and his church wants us to buy into a half-truth, which is ultimately amounts to a lie, a distortion of reality. And one of the biggest ones, um, probably maybe we could say that one of the, the enemy's top 10 favorite lies is that we can have Christ without his church, Christ on our own terms, Christ how I want Christ to be in my own image and likeness, Christ according to my personal subjective interpretation of his word, Christ in my own isolated private life of devotion, just based on the Bible alone and how I want to interpret the Bible. Um, apart from the church, apart from accountability, apart from a community, apart from a, a, a church family, apart from a tradition, as St. Paul talks about tradition in his letters, the importance of tradition. And that's coming straight from St. Paul's mouth. Um, apart from a relationship with God that is not just based on myself, my own bias. And that's super important. And so one way to refine that, I keep refining that, is the church as bride. You know, God, God loves marriage. God instituted marriage. God delights in, in the love between husband and wife. He loves that. It's part of, it's part of the economy of salvation and sanctification. And so Jesus Christ as a bride, the incarnate son of God, espoused himself to a bride. And this, and he espoused, God so loved the world that he sent his son to espouse humanity to God in a mystical marriage. And that mystical marriage of espousing humanity to God comes by way of a church, a unified family called to communion with the Trinity. And the church as a mother and the bride of Christ leads us to God as our father. And, and this church is meant to be, a, a not, you know, the old, there's, a, there's an old saying, it's not meant to be a museum of saints. It's meant to be a hospital for sinners. You know, we're all wounded. We're all beggars. We only It's just a matter of knowing where the bread is. We're all sick. We are, it's just a matter of knowing who the divine physician is and what are the fountains of his grace to heal our souls. And, and so the church is meant to be a hospital for healing. And one way that, he, that we find healing is when we experience bonding, connection, acceptance, being loved for who we are, not for what we do. Um, for he, for the healing comes through healthy, holy love of a being, what it means to belong and to feel accepted for who we are, as we are. And, and that's what the church is meant to be. But because we're all human beings, because we're all wounded, because the church is made up of, of sinners, not angels, we all fall so badly short of living up to that call of who we are called to be as church. And as a result, hurt people, hurt people, hurt people, hurt people, just like in our biological families, bro. Just like in our biological families, none of us come from perfect parents and perfect families. We all hurt each other. And it's hard to have unity in a family. It doesn't come automatically. It takes work, sacrifice, and especially humility. And the fact of the matter is, a lot of people just don't want to go there. And, and because of a lack of humility, a lack of empathy and compassion and love, we hurt each other all the freaking time in, the, in our biological nuclear families and in the church family. And that's why there's so much sneaking division from the beginning. 
from the very beginning. And Christ knows that we have a, this capacity to mess, his, mess up his work. And that's why he prayed for unity in John 17, because he knows that we're, we were going to mess it up. And so he longs for this unity, and it doesn't happen easily, because we always find a way of getting mad at each other, getting angry with each other, choosing negativity, choosing division, choosing I'm right, they're wrong, wanting to have the last word, arrogance and pride prevailing. It just, I mean, we just make a mess of God's beauty. And so it's only by the grace of God that we can find unity. And, and then the reality is in this life, we might never, ever, ever fulfill that dream of Jesus, John 17, ever in this life. If we know, if we have no, if no illusions about humanity and this world and the nature of this fallen world as a preparation for glory, preparation for eternity, that dream may never, ever be fulfilled in this life, but only in the next, only by the grace of God. Just to draw some of that out a little bit more, um, to a person listening, I'm envisioning two types of listeners. Uh, one that may be is adverse to Christianity and they might critique, well, which church? What church do I go to? Everyone claims that they're the church. Everyone says they're the true church. Right. And then maybe someone of another church that might think, um, what are you trying to say that, you know, the Roman Catholic Church is the only church, but what about my church? Um, so how do you how would you speak to those two groups? Yeah. Well, I think God and his merciful love is everywhere. There's no doubt about that. That might sound very kind of new agey or relativistic, but there's some truth to that. God is everywhere. There is no church where he is not. For example, I don't believe the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons got their doctrine right at all. And they don't believe that about each other. Mormons think Jehovah's Witnesses are cuckoo. JWs think Mormons are cuckoo. You know, <laughs> it goes both ways. As a Roman Catholic, I don't think Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses got the revelation of God right at all. But at the same time, I have no doubt that God's grace is at work in, the, in their lives according to their conscience as best as they can as best as they can know God's word and seek God in sincere love according to truths that resonate with the fullness of truth i have no doubt that god loves them and god is active in their lives that they've experienced grace they've experienced healing they've experienced conversion in best case scenarios in their own ways i have no doubt about that i would never deny that i would never disqualify that experience that being said i do believe Jesus desires that we all be one, that we're not all claiming different doctrines and that we're the true church, but that we be truly unified in doctrine, which means, and what I mean by doctrine, it means truth. You know, we should that we're all agreed upon what is essential about what God's word says in faith and morals, who God is and who we are called to be as his children morally, you know, that we should be on the same page because God is one and his word is one. And so we should all be in harmony and understanding that. And, and so I do believe God desires unity, without a doubt. The God is unity. God is Father, Son, and Spirit. He is unity in love. Amidst diversity, he is one. Um, and so 
It, do I believe there's an objective truth? Do I believe that Jesus founded a church? Absolutely. A hundred percent. Did Jesus found a church? Absolutely. And is this church a particular religion? Yes. You know, um, St. Paul and the book of James speaks about, you know, holding to the traditions that were given to us, God's word given to us either by written down or by word of mouth. Um, he speaks that different times in his letters. St. James in his epistles speaks about religion that is praiseworthy and pure in God's eyes is being con contaminated by the world and and living out the works of mercy. Uh, so there's clearly religion is not a bad thing as a Christian. You know, I think it's a false dichotomy to say all religion is whack. Jesus only came to give me a relationship. That's not biblical. That's not the new covenant. So did Jesus found a church? Absolutely. He said it himself. On this rock, I build my church. Mine. Mine. So there's there's some, some historical objective truth to the mine. This is my body given up for you. This is my church. The church is the body of Christ. So how, you know, how do I objectively discover what is Jesus's church? Well, that part of that is we got to know history. You know, we got to know history. God loves everybody, um, but he does want us to be one. And he does call us to conversion and what it means to love one another, to keep his commandments and to be one with his bride. Well, who's his bride? Where is where's his body? Where's the body of Christ found, you know, fully? As God had willed it, as God intended it from the beginning. Well, then, what are the what are the characteristics of that? How do I find that? Well, that's 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 the question right there. That that question right there is enough to, you know, what I think a person's appetite to search, and and that search has to involve history. You know, where where did it all come from? What did the first Christians believe? Like shortly after the Acts of the Apostles, like what are the documents of pastors, bishops? who knew the apostles, what were they saying about the life of Christ, living the life of Christ in the church as a community? How are they living the life of Christ as a community right after the Acts of the Apostles? Who were the main pastors then? You know, before the Constantine came around, those first 300 years, from Acts of the Apostles to Constantine, who, who were, the, who were the, head, the fathers of the church? Who were the bishops? Who were the pastors? What were they saying? What did the church look like? What were they doing? How did they celebrate Christian life? How do they come together as a community? That's what's called the fathers of the church and how they taught the faith, the doctrine, what we believed. To come and to tap into those pure waters. Because we have the purest waters is that which is closest to the source. And, and so what are those pure waters? You know, and then and then from there, you know, there's going to be a lot of drama dissecting doctrine, you know between the Oriental Church and the Eastern Orthodox Church, between the Eastern Orthodox Church and the Roman Catholic Church. It, it, you know, it's not an easy debate. It's not an easy dialogue. It's not easy. Uh, but that's those are questions that need to be explored. So what do you think unity should look like in light of, you know, you've talked about we all fall short Um basically of God's glory. You talked about uh, the church being like a family where we hurt each other. Um, you know, there's our own personal sins. You've talked about scandal. So how does unity look like among believers, practically um, the vision 
Um, what does that look like in your mind? Well, my own two, what's that expression? Two cents worth. Yeah. Um, I think first and foremost, it's the one commandment our Lord gives us in his last supper discourse when he instituted the Eucharist, you know, from John chapter 13 to 17, the one commandment Jesus gives us before his, you know, it all goes down cross and resurrection, love one another. It all boils down to that and not being, I don't want to sound overly sentimental, but that's the word of God, you know, love one another. And what does that mean? It's not sentimentality. It doesn't mean compromising your own tradition and doctrine. It doesn't mean, you know, denying, not allowing your brain to, to seek for the truth. Um, it doesn't mind. It doesn't mean any of that. But it does mean that the last word's got to be love. Like, despite our not being able to agree on this, that, and the other thing, you're still my brother. You're still my sister. And I still choose to love you. That's got to prevail. We might not have unity. We might not have to be, we might not be able to share communion with each other to break bread and share holy communion in a sacramental sense with each other. Um, but the, but the, at the end of the day, we're all the, we're, we should all be foot soldiers on the same battlefield of faith. And we should still be able to figuratively hold hands and pray and work together to fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil in living the grace of Jesus Christ and the works of mercy. That part we can do and we should be able to do without dissing each other, without disrespecting each other, without backbiting each other, without thinking that the other is less than me because they don't know as much as me because they're they're not in the in crowd. They don't they don't fully accept what how I accept Christ. You know, we're all going to have those differences, we're all going to have those things. And 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 that only by the grace of God can those parts be overcome. You know, the, 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 the strongholds of the mind. Because a lot of that is based on conviction. And and in the end of the day, one of our convictions are going to be wrong. You know, you, there's going to be certain convictions that, all right, you got eight out of ten right. There's going to be certain convictions that I just hold on to, tooth and nail. Um. But I can't get, allow that to get in the way of love. In other words, Lauren Hill said, I'd rather be righteous than be right. And righteous means learning how to love. And and it's and and there is a there is a single truth. Truth is, is um a pure white light. It's unity. It's this one, it's this seamless garment of, of pure white light and unity. That's the truth. And it's not something as somebody as Jesus Christ. And so there's certain truths that are closer to the heart of God than others. And and I buy and and we might not be able to agree on what that looks like. Um and in, and whenever conversions happen by people who are really passionate about the truth, it's only by the grace of the Holy Spirit of truth that that can come about. You know where they where they were deeply like St. Paul. St. Paul was utterly convicted that Christians were heretics and that he was doing God's work in, in getting rid of these, these folks. He thought he was convicted that he was doing God's work and he was being zealous for the law of the Lord, serving God by persecuting these Christian heretics. Only by the Holy Spirit of truth did he have conversion. 
And that same paradigm applies across the board today with all the over, what is it now, like over 49,000 churches? I don't know, but, um, or denominations. Uh, so I don't know if I answered the question, but um, that's the, the bottom line is, is the one commandment of our Lord. Love one another. And that's agape. It's not yeah. sentimentality. It's agape. Mm. Um, <clears throat> maybe emphasizing the, the Roman Catholic perspective, what is one misunderstanding about Roman Catholics and how would you clarify that misunderstanding? Gosh, that's so many misunderstandings. Just one. <laughs> What's, what most comes to your mind or heart? Well, are we talking about what? Who's the who's the um, the listeners in this con in this question? Would it be atheists? Would it be um, non denominational yeah, Christians? Um, yeah, other Christians. Um, how they might misunder misunderstand Roman Catholics? Yeah. Well, I mean, you had to choose one. What's the most prominent for you? Well, I mean, the one that I would if I would have to choose one, it would be idolatry, um, and of course. Any Protestant, any Christian, non-Catholic Christian who's done their homework, who doesn't just judge by hearsay, who's actually studied Catholicism from a Catholic perspective and not simply from an anti-Catholic prejudice bias. Any Protestant who's really, any Christian that's not Catholic, that is really searching for the truth and has done their homework and researched Catholic teaching um, from good Catholic sources knows there's no smacking of idolatry in Catholicism official teaching whatsoever. That honor and veneration of the Blessed Virgin Mary, number one, the saints, and the use of imagery such as icons or statues is not idolatry against the first commandment of the Old Testament scripture. Um, so it's that's that would be the number one thing. And um, and I would argue, you know, and make the case at least with you know, a Protestant coming from that perspective, that that is no less idolatry um, as our worship of Jesus Christ as the Son of God is idolatry to a Muslim and to a Jew. To a Muslim and a Jew, worshiping Jesus Christ as the divine Son of God is utter idolatry and heresy. Utterly. They will kill you for it on some people. Um, and and to acknowledge that. Well, why isn't it? You know, in dialogue, you know, with the non-Catholic Christian, why isn't it idolatry? And to go down that theological, you know, road of why we believe what we believe about the revelation of Jesus Christ is the same stream of thought through divine revelation of why as Catholic Christians we honor Mary in the new covenant and the saints, according to scripture, as our friends in high places, our communion with the believers who are still alive in the risen Lord. They're not asleep waiting for the second coming. Uh, and why we use images for sources of inspiration of faith, hope, and love to follow Jesus uh, as instruments of God's grace, not as an end in themselves. So I, the, I, the issue of idolatry would be um, the biggest thing that I would respond, that I would touch on. Thank you. And so, yeah, so and, and one last thing, if I can say so, um, yes. the only idolatry that you will officially find in Catholicism is the idolatry common to every human person, namely 
the temptation to make an idol out of our very selves. My way, my truth, my life, living an egocentric life, not a Christocentric life. That is the biggest temptation of idolatry for every human being. And that's the main idols that we need to be free from. Uh, self-will, false self-love, and self-importance. Thank you. Um, on the day of Pentecost, after the disciples had received the Holy Spirit and, and Peter gives that first sermon, um, the spirits had work in the crowd and they're moved and they say, what are we to do? You know, so if there's someone that's listening and the Holy Spirit moves them at this moment to want to respond to God, to want to respond to Jesus in some way, what is your suggestion as a next step? Yeah, it all comes down to that essential, that essential response of every disciple in scripture, here I am, Lord. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Here I am. Um, take me. I am yours. Lead me. You show me the next step. So that's the next step. It'll be different for everybody. For an atheist, it's going to be different than for a devout non-Catholic Christian who's feeling stirred to explore Roman Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy. Um, you know, that'll be different. There's so many countless ways that'll be different. But the bottom line is it comes down to that humble surrender. Behold, be it done unto me according to your word. You lead me and take over. And, and you show the show me the way. Is there anything, any final words that the Lord has put on your heart uh, to share with anyone that may listen? Definitely. Um, let yourself be loved by the love of loves. And... Don't, not to simply love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength out of uh, devotion or duty, but to become in love with Almighty God through the sacred humanity of Jesus Christ and to be totally transformed in the fire of that love that we may all become love as God is love. Beautiful. Um, Father Robert, I really want to thank you for your time, the, uh, the the richness that you're sharing with all those that are going to listen. So thank you from my heart, brother. Um, if you can lead us in a final prayer and a blessing. Absolutely. Abba, Father, holy, holy, holy are you, Lord God of hosts. Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. We worship you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, with the cherubim and seraphim and all the heavenly court of angels. May you be glorified, Father. Help us to know the fire of your love for us through your Son and Spirit. Draw us to your heart that we may be ablaze with the beauty of your face, with the light of your glory, with the splendor of your truth, and ever more free to become who we are created to be in your image and likeness. For the, for the glory of Christ the King, Jesus our Lord and Savior, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. All right. Thank you, brother. You're welcome, bro. This is Juan Elias on the One is One podcast, an ecumenical Christian experience. 
Please support this ministry by praying, subscribing, and sharing with others. To foster a sense of community, I invite you to dialogue on X with username at TrinityLife31. If you're interested in sponsoring episodes or you feel called to support this ministry in other ways, you may reach out at TrinityLife31 at gmail.com. I'm also available for talks, conferences, and retreats for different sizes of groups and churches. If you're struggling and need a faith-based support, try in-person or online biblical counseling at TheAnswerAZ.com. For those that love Bible study, you can get a discount on a digital package. See the link in the description. The One is One podcast is ecumenical at the service of all churches and is not affiliated with any particular church. Let's continue to journey together. Until next time, may you abide in the life of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.